Our host, filmmaker Don Goldmacher, producer of Heist. This is a KPFA benefit, wheelchair accessible. Get advanced tickets at brownpapertickets.com or supportive bookstores. April 12th, the outrageous, the terrific Matt Taibbi. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Up next, cover to cover, open book. Poet to Poet series. I'm your host, Nina Serrano. The poems you'll hear in this program are excerpted from Women Right Resistance. Poets Resist Gender Violence, edited by Laura Madeline Weissman. All the poets are local poets and have been recorded here at KPFA. In the preface to Women Write Resistance, Poets Resist Gender Violence, edited by Laura Madeline Weissman, says, The seed for this anthology, Women Write Resistance, Poets Resist Gender Violence, started in a coffee shop mid-afternoon, mid-week, in the middle of a Midwest city. I'd recently started a Ph.D. program in English and was taking three classes. The pedagogy class required for all teaching assistants a course in Chicana literature and theory and a graduate poetry workshop. Inspired by the feminist theory I'd studied in my M.A. program in women's studies and the readings I was doing in the literature class, I began writing poems about the Juarez murders, the hundreds of women murdered in Juarez, Mexico. I'd been thinking about gender violence for a long time. I'd volunteered and worked in domestic violence shelters, marched in Take Back the Night, and taught poetry workshops at women's crisis centers, while also reading deeply in research and theory on trauma, PTSD, and violence against women. I'd always disagreed with W.H. Auden's statement that, quote, Poetry makes nothing happen, unquote. To me, poetry was action. Poetry did make things happen, or at the very least had the potential to initiate action. As I sat in the coffee shop amid the cool blasts of air from the front door, the hiss and gurgle of the espresso machine and the hum of conversation, I wondered about my work as a poet, teacher, and scholar. Was there anything I could do about gender violence? I decided to put together this anthology of poems about gender violence written by over 100 American women poets with a critical introduction framing poetry as action. This poem is by Ella Rain Lockie. Ode to an X. It wasn't your body I chose to bear, not your knees knocking nude below my miniskirt, or your gold nugget nipples bragging braless beneath my blouse. 
Yet you staked your claim, certain that the dowry denoted ownership, title transferred with marriage certificate. I should have known when you punched my lab partner in college for standing too close that you were the one standing too close, squeezing me out so you could come in. But John Wayne and God trained me good to see passion in possession. They don't help me see it now through swollen black eye memories or feel it with a blue bruised heart because John Wayne is dead and God became a girl. I'm Gail Intrican, and this is my poem called Fame. His voice felt sticky. He whispered his name, Polly. He saw my picture in the paper, asked. I didn't understand the word. Did I want him to suck something? It was something ugly. He was a grown-up stranger, and I didn't know how to think about it. Couldn't answer. So without even saying goodbye, I set the receiver back on its heavy black base. When my mother came home with her arms full of brown bags and began unpacking Miracle Whip, Oreos, and Velveeta cheese, turning back and forth from kitchen table to cupboard to fridge, I stood in the doorway and sailed my story into the room, except I couldn't bring myself to tell her what he said. Slowly, she stopped walking, stood still, and turned the beam of her full attention on me, something so rare that my worst fears were confirmed. And she said, maybe I'd like to tell her upstairs. We went up to her bedroom, where the gauze curtains blew at the bay windows facing the street, and she closed the door, sat down on the bed. I stood just inside the room, forced myself to say the terrible words, and I watched her face blanch. It must have been shocking to hear such suggestions from a little girl with braids. And she said, yes, those were bad words indeed. And she said he was a very sick man, sick in his mind. And she said that probably I shouldn't tell Daddy the words he said, but she would tell him for me, and they would take care of it. I felt so light, as if I'd been carrying deadly poison in a breakable bowl and had managed not to drop or spill it had safely handed it over to someone who would carry it up high, firmly, out of sight, and who knew how to dispose of it, where I would never have to see it again. My name is Claire Ortalda. The Nightmare's Hand. Still swimming in night milk, you watch, like a movie, the lived dreams of your childhood and grandma putting out plates of food in her kitchen. The memory of that soft-edged blackness steals furry in your brain. You can see it on the inside of your skull bone, on the private side of your forehead, the soft black cloud like the deadly creep of a flameless fire that seductively kills. There's a rocking of the bed, and under the elastic of your striped pajamas, a hand creeps. You remember the finest of black hairs on the knuckles. That's why the animals crouch in burrows in the small hollows of your mind, awake in the night. That's why they huddle there in the darkened hole of memory until light cracks. Then, only then, 
do they creep from their small secret holes to find the knots of green to eat and you the faces of yellow eggs and the coughing sharpness of toast. I'm Judy Juanita. This poem is titled Back Then. I can't picture the first time I saw Dad hit Mom. Her shriek meant she hit the floor. I heard him whip Big Brother outside my bedroom, beat up sis who fought and called Dad nigger. We called her crazy. Later, she skin-popped speed. Her schizophrenia came out. The voices. One day, we were arguing over Monopoly. Dad walked in, mad at his losing horse, snatched a broomstick, and hit me. I kept quiet, but I see it pretty clearly now. My name is Rebecca Faust. My first poem, Backwoods, is dedicated to my mother. Backwoods. You'd go back to him then. Your swaggering, full-bird, second husband, fragged in Korea, and now hunkered down here in this backwater. How could you? After he blackened your eye, dumb-bitched you, and wrecked your canoe. You escaped from that place once. His cottage collapsed on the banks of that dirty, dredged ditch he calls a river. All you needed was a car where you could sleep, keep your things. Yes, you're alone. Now we kids are all grown. But would you really go back to that tar paper shack, squatting in bottles and weeds? Where your beloved canoe still lies on its side, split like your lip, where he kicked it, the night you ran home to us in your nightgown and only one shoe. The second poem is called Bound Feet. Her own feet, flat and wide. She dreams of hummingbirds or orchids that men might want to taste and eat. She dreams the mint step and sway back that deepens swell of hips. She tightens the linen strips across her daughter's instep arch, looks at the arabesque shoe on the shelf. She'd have beaten her silent but the girl was already obedient, understood that nothing inflames a man like disfigurement or any other proof of a wife's subjection. The need to be carried by opulent litter from place to place. How, if his paper house should catch fire, she could not take ten steps to safety but would burn, ash lotus petals rising in a tranquil watercolor sky, why she cradles her child's foot in her warm, wide lap and snaps each matchstick toe, tenderly 
breaks each arch. Hi, I'm Judy Wells. The part-time teacher sometimes fears for her students' lives. The part-time teacher sometimes has her students read their English 1A papers in front of class. She has not read them yet. She asks for volunteers. A beautiful woman stands before the class and reads a paper in which she states her husband beat her, and not only beat her, but hid in their house and stalked her like prey in the jungle. The class is very silent, and she reads how she was pushed through a window and forgave her husband in the hospital as blood streamed down her arm. She said she could not feel a thing. She had made herself a piece of wood like Celie in the color purple when Mr. Beater. She had made herself a piece of wood. And she was white and middle class and had a good job, she said, and a child. And he was white and middle class and had a good job. Their friends all loved them as the perfect couple. And he stalked her at night if his socks weren't in a row in his drawer. She saw a shrink who placed an image in her head. She was not wood. She was a pitcher of milk pouring out her contents. And he asked her how long her liquid love, her rich flowing milk, could pour into her man. For her lifetime, which might be short, for a year, for a month, and then she poured herself out till she was dry. It took a very short time. Then she left him. The part-time teacher knows that some women write to save their lives. The part-time teacher knows that some women speak to save their lives and their sisters' lives. This next poem is called, What Do I Say to a Poet Friend Whose Husband Has Just Died? What do I say to a poet friend whose husband has just died, but I know some intimate details of their marriage? She once told me, in a burst of confidence, after a group meditation, how her husband verbally abused her as a young bride, and this continued for years through three sons. I wondered why she did not leave him, but then I thought again about the three sons. Her husband's punishment came much later by the hand of God or fortune. He suffered from a kind of Parkinson's, and with another stroke of luck, for her at least, aphasia. He could no longer speak. He could hear. He could understand. But he could not speak. She was compassionate even then, but I secretly gloated. He received his retribution for all those years when he called her bitch, slut, whore, for no good reason other than he was an abuser, and she could not leave home, this lovely woman, poet, artist, and mother of three fine sons. I know she will probably grieve his leaving, but I added at the end of my sympathy note, I wish you love as you go through this new transition in your life. I wished I could have said, Rejoice! 
You are free. I'm Andrina Zawinski. The first poem I'll be reading for you is called Some Women Take Heart. The epigraph is from Sharon Olds. I feel the rage of a soldier standing over the body of someone sent to the front lines without training or a weapon. Some women learn to take it with a stiff upper lip stitched up tight, standing upright on the kisser, in the teeth, jaw wired, bruised cheeks swollen on a clip under the eye. Some women take it flat on their back, slapped in a cast, choked, roped in a free kill zone, run down out on the road, statistics for the times. Some women take it into the heartland, run with what they own, new job, new home, new name in bald fists, chased across state lines, life on the line, kicked down, kidnapped, taken back. Some women breathe in old dreams, slip under night covers, think they stink on the sheets, knuckle under enemy outposts in their minds. Some women try to make it, fix it, get it right, can't do anything right, beaten up, beaten down, beaten to death between thin walls, windows up. Some women start up at the door slam, click of the briefcase clasped, tinkle of ice in the glass, bourbon splashed on the floor. Some women can't take any more morning after sweet talk, pains out, boarded up, change the locks, bar the doors. Some women, the ball busters, castrators, man-haters, stick out their tongues on a dare, tear in the skin. This is a poor war. Go for the muscle and scream. No more bloody spit ribboning lips, mouthy at the thyroid line like they mean it. Some women take a match to the gas, burn the bed, end up rattling chains behind bars. Some women want a revolution like a lover and a full metal jacket for a heart. This next poem was inspired by an installation art piece raising money for battered women in a rural Pennsylvania town. It's called This, a triptych for the disappeared. One, she is six. She's a kid in a cowgirl suit, strapping on a holster at her cherry three-wheeler, the city steed, clumps of mud in the ring of its chain. But it has come to this. Twenty years later, she's on her back, a woman dressed up as someone's bed, blood on the sheets. She is the bed. She is the ceiling. She is the wall. She is the room. This has happened. Her face disappeared beneath the scarlet throb of a bruise. Two. This is the country where nothing sells for more than its horrors. Rest and recreation for a global economy. Pedophiles reclined behind a camouflage of PC screens, eagerly scanning rental lists by the hour, by the day, by the month, for a lifetime. The sexual slavery pimp's finger on the trigger of the cock crack gun. Lowly taught, posed like a CK ad in a flickering light bulb dark cataloged, child bride, ready-made to order. But she is not this body. This is not a good job for a poor girl. Three. Across the sprawling green of lawn of another Dias de los Muertos, 
Pink crosses stagger the walk for the murdered women of Juarez. Hundreds disappeared. A procession of candles sputter and spark for a schoolhouse splattered in blood. It's Amish girls gunned down by a milk truck driver with three guns and a grudge in West Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. Muffled prayers petition the air for women packed tight in shipping containers across the Pacific Northwest, later to appear on packing lists masked as menus, their bodies indexed as lo mein, satai, kimchi, fal. Frankincense smolders for those who vanish, shadows in the streets, whole bodies disappearing under the weight of burgas. It burns for all of those who are not, for all of those who will never be. Pomegranates by Suzanne Kelly DeWitt My mother, gray bird beside a white bowl of pomegranates. They flare against her face, creating an odd balance. She is retelling the family myths. In this one, her mouth is cut and bleeding. Her teeth pop out like seeds. It is winter. My father is king of the underworld. My whole mouth, she explains, drawing open her lower lip, exposing the hidden scars, was pulp. I memorize exactly word for word. He was quick and strong, his punch like a boxer's. We'd been married only six months, still newlyweds. As I pluck a pomegranate from the bowl, hack it open, place a single blood-red seed on my tongue. You just heard Women Write Resistance, an anthology edited by Laura Madeline Weissman, featuring Bay Area women poets. For more information, go to lauramadelineweissman.com. were written by me and published in my book Heart Songs Selected Poems 2000-2012 published by Estuary Press I'm going to read you a selection from the section called The Moon Always the Moon Moon Slice The Moon the smallest silver slice, the last sliver on the night's plate, laid on a star-studded tablecloth, 
a late-night snack set for dreaming, the day's recorded scheming, laid on a star-studded tablecloth, the last sliver on the night's plate, the moon, the smallest silver slice. Full Luna, luminous presence in the deepest, bluest field of night and blossoming dots of stars. The city sleeps beneath you. The ocean dances to you, wave after wave of splash, ebb and flow. I stand still, face tilted upward to bathe in your light, and I dance to you too, using only my transfixed eyes and my mind leaping, twisting, turning, stretching to fathom your mystery. Crescent Luna Night after night, the Crescent Luna smiled and Venus winked. But last night, the smile grew into a crooked grin. Was it a smirk? Venus didn't wink at me. Venus, goddess of amor, are you angry with me? How have I failed you? La Luna, I know, changes. I don't take La Luna personally. But stars are more intimate because I wish on them decade after decade. Oh, star of Venus, wink at me one more time, and I promise I will try to be more loving. Moon Waxing Moon ties me to the cosmos. I can stare at it, unlike the blinding sun. Moon pulls my understanding deeper than words, knowing I am here, rooted on earth, looking upward, I exist. Dark of the moon, Luna Negra. I missed you. Other nights I sought you in skies turned cloudy or foggy. Others I forgot to look up. Now I awaken, still dark night, though the clock says early morning. The bed is warm, but I leave to find you. I need your company to connect me to life. You are there, but I can't see you. You are there, but I can't see you. Silent Moon Days and nights and afternoons of silence... Evenings ago, we saw the white half-moon caught in the trees. Alone, last night, I saw it white and round. Alone, the moon shines in cold steel silver, echoing the silence. Tonight, with you, a perfect ball full of love. Ring around La Luna. I threw a ring around the moon, a winning shot in life's game. Passing comets admire the glow in their startling trajectory in the night sky. She takes time out for morning, noon, and finally dusk when she swells inside the ring. Across the darkened earthly hemisphere, the snores and steady sleeping breaths hum. 
Fireflies dance to night songs. Capped waves lift to spray the moon. Then falling back into the shore, magnetically pulled, drawn into the swell to do it again and again. And I never tire looking for the moon. There is reason to believe she is always there, even when clouded, even when I can't see her. That is how one night I tossed the ring, a lucky shot that has kept on glowing ever since. This has been Nina Serrano reading from my book, Heart Songs, Selected Poems 2000 to 2012, published by Estuary Press, and you can find it at estuarypress.com. Nina Serrano with Jill Montgomery for the Poet to Poet series. Please check out my website, ninaserrano.com, N-I-N-A-S-E-R-R-A-N-O.com. Thanks so much for listening. Look forward to being with you again. Saturday, April 19th, you're invited to a celebration and benefit to honor the 20th anniversary of the Sacred Grove Women's Forest Sanctuary. The Sacred Grove is one of the few remaining riverside redwood groves on the Matol River and is a vital habitat for endangered indicator species. Saturday, April 19th, from 3.30 to 6.30 p.m. at the Sacred Stream Center, 2149 Byron Street in Berkeley. There will be music and singing with 